Hey there, my name is Rob and this is Filmstreak and each week here on Filmstreak, each episode I'm going to go through and recap the previous week of films that I've watched and everything is new. I'm watching something new every single day and well, sometimes it's a new release, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's something that's been around for a while or maybe something that's really just obscure and overlooked and needs some attention. So I'm going to bring that to you and let's talk about it. And this week, we're going to pick up with where we left off last episode. And that was uh, primarily based on soul music, blues music, and it was all documentaries. And this time, I'm going to continue that a little bit. We're going to do some more music-oriented stuff. But this is, uh, this is a lot more narrow slice of, of music and what it means to me and maybe just some history of, of the genre and the style and particularly the films that were part of the the whole scene. And that is the scene revolving around reggae music and all the iterations thereof. And so one thing I want to do is I want to, I want to look at some films that are documentaries, but also a couple of narrative films that I think um, they kind of highlight or, or bring some light to the culture itself around this music and um, even the international influence and, uh, uh, let's say, the drama that comes out of that. So, all right, so let's pick this up from, uh, we picked this up from last episode. We ended with number 57. So now we're going into f- number 58, and that is The Upsetter, The Life, and Music of Lee Scratch Perry. And if you don't know, and it, it's okay if you don't, but uh, Lee Scratch Perry is one of the pioneers, one of the innovators of reggae music as a genre and as a style of music, but also um, a, a kind of a cultural icon in that whole scene. And um, this was a documentary that was produced in 2008. It's interesting to see the background and the history of someone who is so influential and so uh, prolific in the, in the genre of music that this is because to maybe most, or at least put it this way, to most Americans, maybe, there aren't a lot of names, household names that you can identify with reggae music. Bob Marley would probably be the, the first and foremost. But here we're looking at one of the people who was really influential and really built this genre. And, um, you know, a lot of this retraces some of his history, his personal history with his family and his the the genesis of the music came from you know some of the earlier days when he worked in construction and the machinery and the environments and just the sounds that were around him it started to formulate into this thing that would become reggae music and um you know when there's a matter of uh working on songs as uh maybe a producer as a writer and um those were getting taken away from him or basically given to other artists, other bands or other acts to make their own. Um, you know, he, he really wanted to find a way to stand out on, on his own merit and make a name for himself. And part of that was, you know, the, I guess the fortunate running into with Bob Marley, where, you know, Marley was at a point where he wanted something new, a different sound than the more maybe at the time more traditional like ska music sound. 
And so the two of them started to find and innovate into this new genre called reggae. The studio that he built, it was called the Ark of the Covenant, and it was a primarily recording studio, but also a place for people to come and, and you know, kind of get together. Um, and as as with all things, I guess, that it sounds too good to be true is because it ended up not going well. And he started to feel like there were energies and there were people around him that were not helping him. They were not being conducive to like making good music and creating a positive vibe. And so ultimately it became a thing where he, well, the documentary plays a little loose with what exactly happened, but the studio burned down. And there's an argument to be made that maybe he did it himself. Maybe somebody else did it. There were maybe some conflicts, some some drama in 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 the group that was there, all the people that were around him. I mean, he was willing to sacrifice that that he had built up in order to keep a certain, maybe a certain purity or a certain um, truth in his music. And so when he... <laughs> You know, when he lost the studio, he then went to the UK. He worked with The Clash. He worked with Paul McCartney. He worked with all kinds of big international um, rock artists and, and punk and, and just different genres of music, bringing a certain style, a certain sensibility to what they were doing that was uniquely his. And um, I think uh, the maybe the maybe the biggest contribution, though, that has lasted – that is maybe not as seen or as um, high profile is uh, his creation of the genre known as dub music. Now, I'll say this. Um, the, the thing that did ultimately happen with Perry was that he basically just stopped the music at some point. He really isolated himself. He, he stayed in the UK, stayed in London. He eventually moved to Zurich. Um, and it's shown in the film where that's where like the modern day, the 2008 footage is from him living there in Zurich. And, uh, you know, that's into the nineties and into the two thousands. And you almost get a sense, like here was a talent that was, uh, and not just a talent, but like a real, like a visionary, Here's a mind, like a, a mind that is so, so creative and so um, free that I mean, there are points in this documentary where it looks like it looks like my man has just gone insane. But it's all out of his eccentricity and his nature that is um, it's beyond what is maybe traditional understanding of music and of sound and of meaning. The one thing I'll say about this documentary is that I saw, now I saw this on, um, I think it was in Criterion, Criterion Channel. And uh, I'll tell you, it was a little bit rough. Now, it was produced in 2008, according to the, the credits and everything, but it looks really, really rough. And you know, I don't know if that's a matter of production or, or the technology that was available, um, to produce it, but it's worth taking a look at if you're um, interested in the music. But uh, all right, so let's move on. Um, I want to move on to this one because I think this one is um, this one's really a landmark. And I had heard about this before, but I'd never, never taken the time to watch it. I never really sought it out. 
seeing it now, I can get it. I mean, I understand why, because this is number 59, and this is The Harder They Come. And this is directed by Perry Henzel, and it's from 1972. And um, this stars Jimmy Cliff, who's a known, you know, music act. He's known the world over, I think. And um, he plays the main character of Ivan, who is... Uh, Who's a young man? He's on the streets of Kingston. He's trying to find a way to to make some money. He's looking for work, and he he ultimately finds himself in a situation where he can record an album. You know, he's interested in music. He wants to play music, and he's got an idea, and he's able to get on at a studio and record an album of his own. And you know, the interesting thing here is that so this is a narrative work. This is just a, a, a scripted feature film, but. So there are some elements of it, and and even some of the other films I'm going to talk about, that they play very much like a documentary because they capture so much of life on the streets and in the city um, and with the people in Kingston and different parts of Jamaica that may, may not, and especially in the 70s, that, that may not look familiar or may not seem... Um, it, it might seem more foreign than it probably is, you know? Um, but I think when at least you have that context, you have that uh, that background for what motivates this kind of music and, what if, and for what motivates these people to make this music. I think films like this really help to to set that up. So that you understand, like, this music doesn't just come from someone looking for a way to make a different sound. Like, there's a real meaning behind it. There's a real purpose behind this music. And, you know, if you're not familiar with reggae at all, uh, maybe you've just heard something on a commercial or in, you know, on TV shows or something like that. You know, you know there's a distinct sound to it. There's a distinct tempo and and melodies that that are common in reggae music, but there's a lot deeper message to it, and that, that that's not always clear. You know, there are some songs that are very like uh, quote unquote pop, you know, reggae songs that um, you know that, that could. I mean, you see them in commercials for like cruise lines and stuff, and but that's not that's not the real reggae. That's not the heart of reggae, and so. Watching a film like this, The Harder They Come, it really illustrates that this music comes from people who are are struggling and and trying to survive and trying to make it and trying to find a break somewhere. And, um, you know, there's a point in this story in particular where Ivan, he, he records his record. He gets a little bit of, like, notice. He gets a little bit of um, heat going with it. But uh, ultimately... It starts to the power and the the nature of let's say the music business as it's portrayed here. It starts to corrupt him. It starts to it starts to just mess with his mind. It goes to his head, and um, you know there's a point where he's on the run and he's killed people. And you know towards the end of the film, there's a point where he's uh, he's basically. There's nowhere else to run, and he's going to make his last stand. And you wonder, like, how did he get here? Like, this wasn't the dream he originally had. And yet, this is where the path took him. And so, it's interesting to see that, because this is, a, I think, a pretty common thing, 
um, you know, films and stories based on like the music industry or even Hollywood or, you know, the film industry that someone looking for a shot, looking for a chance to do something, they hit it big and then they go too far and it all starts to fall apart. And maybe, you know, criminal elements get involved or, or you know, corruption gets involved and it, it's all becomes a tragedy by the end. And in a way, that is what this movie is. But, you know, ultimately, I think there's a message here, though, that this isn't just someone who grew up in a world like this of people who are all, you know, out to get theirs and it's so cutthroat. This is a person who really came to it with the best of intentions and maybe even just being naive fell into all the pitfalls of this. And, um, you know, it, it, it goes to show what, you know, things like poverty and despair, um, and that, that sort of struggle, what that can drive someone to do. I mean, it can drive you to extreme measures to be successful or to just survive. And so I, I really thought this was interesting because it does, it does revolve around the music industry and, and reggae music in particular. So that's The Harder They Come. That's with Jimmy Cliff from 1972. That is number 59. And I would say I would recommend that one for sure. All right. So let's move on. We're going to keep this moving. Now, as much as I liked The Harder They Come, I'm going to tell you this next one. I liked even more. This is number 60. And this is Rockers. And this is also on Criterion Channel. They're currently doing a uh, reggae spotlight, uh, different feature films and, and some documentaries in there. So this is going to be a good place to check some of these out. But they're also available in other places, too. Um, Rockers is from uh, director Theodorus Bafalukos. Hey, I gave it a shot. Um, but this is uh, actually kind of a similar story. Um it's about a young man named Horsemouth who is um, looking to collect some money. He's trying to buy a motorcycle because he wants to use a, the motorcycle to help sell records. He wants to basically be, um, uh, I don't know, like a runner or someone who's, you know, getting records out and selling them to music shops from the record label. And, uh, you know, that it, it just shows, it illustrates the nature of the music business in Jamaica. And the, at the time, it was very... Um, independent and it was very um almost homemade um you know there 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 wasn't like the infrastructure of let's say you know american or 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 you know bigger record labels and the distribution that all comes with that so it's interesting to see this whole side of it like the way that this music spread the way that it was handled and the way it was proliferated was really interesting that if this is the method, I mean, imagine the the pace and the intensity that has to happen for this to grow. So anyway, so Horsemouth, he gets his motorcycle. He's trying to get a gig to um, to be a drummer in a band and his motorcycle gets stolen in the process. And so it becomes a thing where now he's tra- chasing this motorcycle that, uh, you know, he took a lot of pride in. He he collected the money to to get it and now it's gone and he wants it back because this is how he's going to make his living there's a point where he meets a girl that is um uh 
Her father is uh, someone who is involved with this. Uh, it's like a hotel or resort where he's playing in the band. And um, the girl is is friendly to him, but also knows that he's maybe, maybe not on the up and up. I'm not sure. But uh, she finds out where his motorcycle is and turns out that the hotel, the owners, uh, they're, they're running a little bit of a crime syndicate and they're taking in and, and hoarding stolen goods. And so when he finds out that's where his motorcycle is, now it's a battle. Like, how do I get it back? And, and how do I get over on these big, you know, these big crime bosses? And um, so it, it, it starts to turn into a little bit of a heist movie at the end where it's funny because you see him go around and he's getting all the boys together. It's like, we're going to do this job. We're going to, we're going to get all this, these goods back. And it's not clear if they're getting them back for themselves or if they're just getting them back to take them from the rich guys, the, the, the criminals. And in the end you find out, well, they're taking them because they give them to the people who need them. The poor, you know, he's going, they're going to do some Robin Hood shit here. They're going to take all this stuff, TVs, furniture, you know, motorcycles, whatever. And they're going to give it to the people who really need it. The people who have nothing, the people who are struggling. But the, the, ultimately the, the, the message is there is that these artists, no matter how much of their music uh, is a hit or how much their music has spread around the world, they're still struggling. Like the music industry there. It just doesn't work for artists the way it might in other countries or in other cultures. And so it's really tough for musicians to keep it going, to keep things, you know, keep keep their lives going. And so it's always a struggle. And so that was a really interesting context. I never really looked at it that way or, or understood it to be that way. But um, I, I would say... Something about this also with rockers is that it looks, it's a relatively small production, small budget affair, but it looks really great. And it it even feels a little bit contemporary. I mean, some of it is very uh, documentary-like in the moments in between some of the scenes, but um, it does feel very... um, I don't know. To me, it has a very contemporary kind of flair to it. The Harder They Come feels like it's from 1972. Um, This is from a few years later, 1978, and it feels a little more uh, up with the times. It holds up a little better, put it that way. So I would definitely recommend this one. This one was a lot more entertaining, actually, and it really, I mean, ultimately it ends on a higher note, on a more positive note. And so... I'd have to recommend this one for sure. This is number 60. This is Rockers. All right, let's move on to number 61. And that is going to be Babylon. And that is from director Franco Rosso uh, from 1980. And this is a little bit of a similar story. Uh, it's It's a narrative feature film. It's about a young man or a group of young men trying to make some things happen, trying to, you know, put some things together, make a living. Um, but here we're in Brixton, which is South London, and it's 1980. And this is revolving more around not the music business itself in terms of being an artist or, or a performer, but 
the other side of this industry, which, which this was an interesting look at, is that, and I didn't understand this to be this way, but from what I can gather with these films that I'm watching, that I'm watching here, a lot of music that w- was created and by artists in Jamaica and, and put on records there was then sent or exported to the UK where uh, people who were either of Jamaican descent or Caribbean descent um, in the UK would receive that and play that in not on the radio and not necessarily in any like public venues, but in what, you know, what could best be described as like, a, um, like a dance hall scene, you know, the, and I almost think of like, it's like the early, maybe the early rave scene where you might have two groups with their sound systems, sound systems being, you know, all the amps and the giant speakers and the cabinets and everything. They just play a lot of music from Jamaica on these sound systems. And they kind of, uh, you know, they distort and they blend and they remix. I mean, there's a, a lot of what I feel like this culture added to that is not just playing the music like on the radio, but playing songs between over each other, between each other, and you know, laying their own lyrics on top of the music, and so it became like a sec, kind of a secondary layer to this genre. And this is ultimately the nature of the sound system scene in London and UK. So these young guys, they're trying to get a sound system together that they can really compete with. They're going to go up against the big boys. They got to have like a system that really you know hits. So. What they do is, you know, they're they're trying to make sure that they have like the top music, the top equipment, and then, you know, really bring it in, in the presentation and all that. And so when they have a, an incident where some of the equipment gets broken, they have to go like steal like speakers from a school to like fix it and replace stuff. <laughs> I, You know, it's what it, hey, you do what it takes, right? So, you know, it's it's a little bit about this culture and what these guys have to do to make it in this scene, but also about themselves and their own personal kind of struggles that they're dealing with because, because it's not just about them in this scene, but it's also them and this scene that they're in, inside of the UK, inside of London and what that means, you know, it's a different environment, right? Then if you're, playing reggae and this is part of your 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 scene and you're in Jamaica. But if you're in London, you know, there's a whole element there that is is maybe barely introduced in some of the other films I just talked about. But it becomes clear here that, oh yeah, in London, racism was alive and well in the 70s, 80s, and on. And it's not the same as, let's say, to me or let's say an American, the understanding of what racism is, uh, and especially in terms of music, but also in terms of just cultures and how those things clash. You know, it, here it's something that is different because, look, the music itself 
is not about this. The music has none of this, uh, has none of this animosity in it. You know, the music is about unity and the music is about love and peace and, um, you know, harmony in a way. There's so many like positive elements to the music. And even if the music is talking about the, the struggle or the disadvantage, it's talking about how to overcome and how to survive. And those are all, you know, ultimately those are all uplifting messages in a way. And yet this music is almost looked at as ghetto music in London at the time and, and maybe some time after that, I'm sure. But, you know, as is depicted here, at least, it's something that is not welcome. It's just not welcome. And I mean, the some of the 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 dialogue some of the language is really is hurtful and because you know that these boys they're trying to just do something to be productive and to enjoy themselves they're not trying to cause any harm they're not trying to hurt nobody they're not trying to cause any trouble they're, they're dealing with police they're dealing with people around them in in the in the city you know the the white neighbors that are complaining about the noise that are threatening, you know, to beat them up and to, you know, hurt them. And, you know, you got the white boss that is threatening or ends up firing Blue because he says, he, hey, he's not working enough, even though he's already been working too much. Meanwhile, the, the white guys on the other side of the garage, they're on a break. And, you know, it's the inequality. It's the bias. It's the racism that is so... um it's so pervasive and, and it's like, there's no getting around it. It's, there's just no getting around it. And so what they resort to, and this will come up later, but what they, these guys resort to is they just want to have this time with their sound system and to be in this um, scene that they can at least feel like they've done something with themselves. And so the only the only knock I might have on this, even though it's not really a knock, because I really enjoyed the the overall context that this gives, because it's different than the other two that I've talked about. But the, the one knock I would give is that the ending, um, without saying too much, the ending feels a little bit abrupt. And like I feel like there's like, I needed one more. I need to know what is the very next thing that happened or, or maybe the next day or whatever. Um, but ultimately, I mean, I, I guess if you look at it this way, it's about the music. It's about how this scene happened and how these boys, these young men, these young people just in general, the, the young black youth in the UK in the seventies and eighties, how they made this scene out of nothing and in a place where it wasn't welcome. I mean, that struggle, uh, it's undeniable because it's still around. That's why it's undeniable. It'd be one thing if this happened at one point in time and then kind of faded away and just never, you know, amounted to anything. But the fact that this evolved and grew and became, ultimately became a whole new scene of music and and a whole new way of presenting music that uh, is alive and well today. I mean, it's, it is, I, you look at anything from, you know, the, I guess the dance and rave scene 
to, you know, uh, places where, um, you might have sound system that are still set up for like drum and bass culture or dubstep culture and all these things that it's still out there and it's still doing it. And it's all traced back to this. And then the, the previous era before that of reggae. So these are, you know, these are actually been really insightful and, and educational in a way. These two movies, these three movies, um, which is giving me some more context. Like I've known about the music. I never really understood how the music, how it grew and how it evolved over the years and, and over different aspects of society. So these have really been interesting. So this, so this is Babylon, Rockers, The Harder They Come, all recommended. Check those out. Also on Criterion, by the way. And so now we're going to get to number 62. Number 62 is a documentary um, that it's, it's actually pretty short. It's not a full like feature length, I guess, but it's an interesting and, and really insightful documentary and it's called Reggae in a Babylon. And it is a lot of what I've been talking about here is about how reggae made the transition from Jamaica. I didn't say made the transition, but it spread from Jamaica to the UK and once it got to the UK, how it grew from there, how it started to become its own thing. And so this is, you know, it's it's kind of goes back, retraces some things into the late 70s. And, you know, in Jamaica, the music reggae as it existed there was a more relaxed style, a more relaxed uh, atmosphere. Because the country and the nature of that culture is generally more relaxed. And when it made the leap to the UK, because it's just a whole different world, it's a whole different way of life. It's maybe much faster pace, definitely more stressful and more uh, chaotic in some ways. Um, the music started to take on different aspects of that. Uh, as it grew and as it changed, you know, so part of a part of how this music transitioned and survived was that it didn't rely on radio play. It didn't rely on album sales. There was such a drastic difference in the way music and albums were produced and sold and distributed in Jamaica versus the UK or, or other markets around the world that it was hard to tabulate record sales. So record sales didn't count or they didn't necessarily matter. What mattered was the people who brought the music from Jamaica to the UK, they played them and they played them for people. And those people were there because they wanted that music. They didn't happen to find it. They didn't just randomly stumble upon it. That's what they gathered there for. And the sound system scene was important to that because it was always, it was always growing. It was always cultivating more music and new music. And the people would come back to see new music or to hear new music rather. But they were always looking for what's the next thing. And it, it almost became a self-sustaining scene, a, a culture that was totally underground. Like if you didn't know about it, you didn't know about it. You know, this documentary is interesting because it does 
explain a little bit more about what the meanings of the music are. And even if that doesn't come across in some of the feature films, some of the narrative films, um, the documentaries are at least good to show that the message and the meaning, the intent of the music, it's not just party music. It's not just noise. It really is about uplifting the culture. Anybody who's in it. You know, it's about love. It's about harmony and, and, and peace and ultimately about unity. And yet something to keep in mind, because this is also part of it, is a lot of it comes out of the Rastafarian culture, which, look, my understanding, I'm, I'm no expert, but my understanding is that it is about all those things. But it is also about what this documentary speaks to is that it's about putting aside certain things, certain excesses, right? Vanity, greed, you know, luxury, like those things aren't necessarily important. What is important is history and awareness and peace. I mean, it's something that it's it's hard sometimes to to reconcile it with where like modern society is today like just in general but that's a lot of what the music is about you know that's where it gets a little fuzzy for some people sometimes um and i have something to talk about that in a minute but i feel like the the respect that at least i personally have for so much of this music and the culture that it comes out of, and especially the Rastafarian culture, which, uh, you know, if you don't know what it is or you don't take the time to understand in a deeper way what it's about, it might seem kind of silly or, I don't know, might even seem like a joke, but it's not. It's real. It's It's a real way of life, and it means a lot to a lot of people, so... Uh, I I find it something that I can really get behind and really understand, and yet, and I can enjoy the music too. And yet, I know that it's not for me, and so that's where I have to at least be able to appreciate for what it is, and let it be for those that it's for. One thing I want to say is that so much of what I've taken out of all these films, and even just in the past, what I've learned and, and the music I've listened to with reggae is that there's a lot that is about interpreting the music, but a good part of it is about feeling the music, like feeling it. You know, not, not in some corny way, but like on a, just on a deeper level. I mean, it's not music you can necessarily have like just in the background. You can, but there's a lot of heart in the music. There's a lot of emotion in the music. And a lot of it is pain. Some of it is love. Some of, some of it is, is anger. But there's a lot there. And you have to be able to respect that. There's a lot of truth there. Put it that way. Okay? All right. So that is... Uh, Reggae and Babylon, that's number 62. Let's move on to number 63. I wanted to talk about this one because this is an interesting, it's like a subset of reggae that 
I guess I knew about, but I didn't really understand the distinction of. Right? That's just me. But this is the story of Lover's Rock. You know, in a nutshell, it's reggae that has been filtered through the the lens or or the sensibilities of UK. And and also it's something that is is a little broader. It's it's, it's openly more like love music, like f- for men and women to enjoy and for couples, you know, put it that way. Um, you know, the, the, watching this documentary, I can, the, the thing that comes to mind is, you know, you have like soul music that came out of, you know, the sixties and, and the seventies. And then that led into things like funk and, um, and even into, you know, some different parts of, um, rock music even took on some elements of soul music. But then like in like when those things started to spread, one of the little gaps in the middle there, which ultimately became its own thing, right? Became its own subgenre was kind of the the R&B genre, which you know, I think of like uh it's not pop, it's not soul, it's like there's somewhere right in between. And, you know, I could think of like artists like, I don't know, Babyface or Boys to Men or um, uh, who else can I think of? Like Tony Braxton, you know, Whitney Houston, like, you know, they bordered on this one specific zone right between like pop music and soul music. And it became its own thing into the 80s and 90s. And then, I don't know, it might have eventually died off, I guess. But that's kind of what I think of when I hear what Lover's Rock is or what it became and what it, the, the role that it played in British culture. And so, you know, it was the thing that, that contrary to regular reggae, I guess, it did get airplay. There were some hits. They were far and few between, but they were there. And it was able to appeal to a, a broader audience that wasn't so much into, you know, the, the Rasta culture or, you know, anything to do with Jamaica even. It was just something that felt more palatable, I guess. It, it, some of the benefits that came out of it were that because it was broader, it, it got a lot more women involved, women, or female artists. So... You, know, you had singers and and artists that could speak to the women's point of view, where you know traditional reggae from Jamaica is primarily all produced and performed and written and, and everything by men. So this was kind of a new opening there. Um, and another thing is that this music it didn't just land and was a hit instantly. It did grow out of this sound system culture of music that came from Jamaica and kind of got remixed and refashioned and, and start sparked um, new artists in the UK to take on this style, but then change it up and add their own flair to it. And um, so it became a whole new thing. It, it, it was like a, almost a mutation of the original strain, if you want to put it in those terms. And so, you know, when it also that it was based on the sound system, scene, I mean, it was not geared to play on the radio anyway. 
You know, that music is so distinct because <laughs> it's only enjoyed best on giant speakers in a live setting. Why are you listening to this on a transistor radio? Just don't even waste your time. You're not hearing half the music because the low end takes up like, you know, half of the half of what you're hearing. So the fact that this music was something that was special and grew out of underground culture and reached a certain uh, profile that, I mean, in this documentary, they do explain that the song Close to You by Maxi Priest, that was such a landmark for the genre because it, it wasn't quite reggae and it wasn't pop. And it was, it was, it was a love song, but it had this distinct reggae tint to it. And that was right there. That was Lover's Rock. I mean, Maxi Priest, that was a, an artist that was right out of sound system culture. Um, you know, came up through the reggae scene and hit it big with a lover's rock song. And it's funny because it seems like this documentary at least paints it that lover's rock, maybe more than reggae itself, but this specific angle, this specific style was very influential to the fabric of, of what is now a, a lot of British culture, uh, especially in regards to music, but also in regards to just the young black youth that grew up at that time listening to this music and what it meant to them. And it was an experience. And so, so many years of that going on, the, the, of that scene just playing itself out, you know, just happening over and over. And you build a generation of people who expect that out of music and expect that out of society. So it was a really interesting documentary. I'd say give it a shot if you can. I mean, I I was able to find it on um, Criterion. Like I said, I think it's also on Amazon Prime. But uh, it's interesting. It's got a lot of insights. It's got a few corny-ish, like comedic skits in the middle or, or throughout. I could have passed on that. But otherwise, I thought it was really interesting. So give that one a shot. All right, so let's end this up. Let's wrap this up. We're getting to the end here. This is number 64, and this is Yardy. And this is from director Idris Elba. That's right. My man went and made a film. And bet you didn't know. But um, this was from, uh, this was pretty recent. I think it was 2018. Uh, I feel like it was even later than that. But what I'm seeing is 2018. But either way, um, this is on Amazon Prime. I think it's just an exclusive there. So that's probably where you would be able to see it first. Um, but this is a similar story. It takes place uh, in a similar era. Uh, like I said, it's very new. It's really new. But it is a story set in the late 70s. Um, and uh, it's about a young man who is in Jamaica, growing up as a kid. He has an older brother. There's, you know, the, the violence, the gangs in the streets of Kingston. It, it's just a, not a good time. And his older brother takes upon himself to call for peace. You know, he, he brings out the sound system. He puts it out on a lot. And he wants everybody to come in and just enjoy themselves. Everybody be cool. Everybody just chill. 
and we're all going to get along. I'm going to make it all happen. And it seems like it's going well. It seems like the night is actually working. People are getting along. The rival gangs kind of come out and, you know, show their face. And in the middle of it, well, something really bad happens to them. And it all falls apart. The whole vibe, all the momentum, all the goodwill is all gone. And so Dennis, who's young, the young brother who's left kind of knowing what happened and knowing who was responsible for it, he grows up. He's still holding on to this. He's got this in his head about, you know, his older brother got killed like this. And, uh, it, it, it's something that he can't let go of and he wrestles with it. And eventually, you know, he's working with one of the, the guys that might have been involved with this. Um, just through, hey, just this is the circumstances. This is where you live. This is, you got to do what you got to do. Well, the guy ends up sending him to London to kind of get clear of some trouble he started. He's like, hey, man, you, you're causing trouble over here. I'm sending you over there. And also, hey, you're going to run some drugs over there for me. Okay. And yet he also gets mixed in with some, some young guys that are trying to put their sound system together. They're trying to get a system going so they can compete with the big boys again. Sound familiar? See, I, I'm telling you, it's, it's, I guess it's just the thing. And so they're doing that. He's trying to help them. He's trying to help them turn some drugs into money, drugs that aren't his, into money that's not going to be his. But it's ultimately in order to get them further down the road, get their setup going. And what I can say about this film is that I like that it, it takes this kind of story, which would have been in some of these earlier films I talked about, but it at least updates it aesthetically, you know, production-wise. It looks very well done, well put together. The story itself, um, it holds together well enough. Um, and actually, you know, I'm going to take that back because this is going to sound like I didn't like it. I did like this movie. I really liked it. But I think... There's something that I felt like I'd seen some of this before. And yet integrating, you know, the the kind of uh, criminal elements and, the, you know, who's doing what behind whose back and, and all this stuff, double crosses and all that, set against the sound system culture, I thought, oh, that's a really different spin on it because it shows the difference between these two worlds, between these two cultures, between Jamaica and the U.K., and how they operate different than they do over here. And sometimes I mean, when you think, oh, well, he's in London now, so he got to play by their rules. But he's not from London, so he plays by different rules. And sometimes people from Jamaica come to London and they bring all their rules with them and they just take over. And when you see like some of the dynamics here with some of the characters, how it plays out, where it don't quite go how you expect, but man, does it get intense. Um, I, I got to say, that's something I've never really seen before. I guess with these particular cultures and how they intersect and maybe collide together. So um, I would say, you know, I recommend this for sure. One thing that's a standout here that I wasn't ready for is um, Stephen Graham. Stephen Graham, that's a wild boy. I mean, he he's, I think I first saw him in Snatch, was it? 
I think he was in that, right? And uh, he was Tommy in that. And uh, I just, man, I don't know. That dude, he does it all. I mean, how he pulls this patwa out of just like thin air. He's just like rolling with it. I'm like, I, I, couldn't even, I couldn't even keep up with him. And maybe, you know, so look, okay, let me just say, let me close this one out, all right? This is the last one for this episode. It's number 64. This is Yardy. I do want to say, though, with all these films, there's a lot here that, on a personal note, like I, I don't know, I just have a lot of like, I guess, admiration, a lot of respect for like the Jamaican culture, even the, even the Patois itself. Like I, there's like such a, like a musicality to it. And somehow it, it sounds like a foreign language, but it's not a foreign language. And you just have to be able to find you know, ways to hook into it. And once you do, you you got it. You know, you can hear it. You can understand it. But if you don't, you, I mean, if you can't find a way in, it might not, you might not understand anything people in these movies are saying. But there's a lot here that I really I have a lot of admiration for. I have a lot of uh, reverence for uh, the music in particular, but the culture itself, I, I this actually shed some light on some things for me. And so I, I thought it was really... Uh, worth taking the time to watch all these films. And so with that said, uh, if you want to hear some previous episodes, go to filmstreak.com. You can hear all the previous movies that we've done. I've been uh, on this streak now for, this is the third month, right? Number 64, we just did. And so I appreciate you all taking the time to listen. Go subscribe. Um, if you have um, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever, just go check that out. Otherwise, I just appreciate you listening. And um, until the next time, keep watching those movies. <laughs>